Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, do we got a show lined up for you guys. I am flying solo here, but so I reached out to an outstanding guest, Matthew Ray, Sports Illustrated, covers Tennessee recruiting. He also covers uh, national recruiting for the SI All-American and he was recently down in Las Vegas for an elite seven-on-seven camp that featured a handful of five-star quarterbacks, some five-star receivers, some of the best defensive backs in the country. Seven-on-seven tournament. Sounds like uh, some fireworks down there over the weekend in Las Vegas. Matthews got us covered with everything that happened at the tournament. So really good interview there in you know, we've been kind of joking. It's a slow time for SEC football right now. Kind of what's really going on at uh, these programs all across the SEC is recruiting. It's recruiting season. Uh, players making their decisions, heading into their fall seasons, official visits left and right. We got some big commitments that happened over the weekend. One that just happened right before I hopped on the line as well as uh, we got a Big-time quarterback set to make his decision this weekend. Dominoes are going to start to fall. So this is going to be a recruiting episode. Let me know what you guys think of uh, these style of shows. While there's not much actual football going on, we got to hit on what's hot right now in the SEC. And right now it is recruiting. And let's start there in Oxford. where Ole Miss just secured themselves a big win on the recruiting trail as four-star offensive lineman Bryson Sanders commits to the Rebels over Tennessee, Chattanooga prospect, and, you know, this was a big battle. This is uh, a guy that uh, the Athletic has been profiling in addition to, of course, all the recruiting services. His dad, I believe, was a a big-time Player, number four overall prospect in the state of Tennessee, number 11 interior offensive lineman in the country, impact player, similar style of uh, offense there at Ole Miss in Tennessee. So, you know, Bryson Sanders, great pickup for the Ole Miss Rebels. And, of course, Lane Kiffin is never going to miss an opportunity to troll somebody, and he just loves to troll them balls. Check out what Lane Kiffin tweeted here. I'll throw it up on the screen if you're watching at home. Here's what Lane Kiffin had to say. I guess not everybody in that state hates me. Let's effing go is what Lane Kiffin tweeted out. So, hey, big news there again for Ole Miss. Bryson Sanders, one of the nation's best interior linemen. I think he's going to be a center in college football. Centers are tough to come by, but... uh, This was an interesting battle. Tennessee's offensive line coach, Glenn Ellerby, played with Sanders' father, if I'm not mistaken, in college. So, you know, Tennessee had some inroads. The in-state school, of course, Chattanooga, a lot closer to Knoxville than it is Oxford. But big-time win there. And I believe uh, Bryson Sanders' head coach is uh, now former South Carolina quarterback. And he was a coach last year. He was the tight end coach, Eric Kimry, I believe, is his uh, head coach down there right now. So at the Baylor School, if I'm not mistaken, out of Chattanooga. So 
SEC ties all over with Brayson Sanders, but a nice pickup for the Ole Miss Rebels. But the biggest winner of the weekend in the SEC when you want to talk recruiting, let's kick it on down to Columbia. With them, South Carolina Gamecocks got them three commits publicly. They, they got a couple, at least one more that is silent. I believe they have another player that uh, has also committed that has yet to be revealed. But South Carolina heading into the weekend, it was early. It's June. You don't, you don't want to look too much at recruiting rankings at this point in time on the recruiting calendar. But South Carolina did have the number 14 class in the conference all the way up to number nine by just this weekend, a big recruiting weekend. As I said, four-star athlete, Kelton Henderson, the number 19 athlete in the country, a top 300 prospect, is now a Gamecock. Three-star tight end, Connor Cox, the number 34 tight end prospect in the country, and three-star defensive back, Cameron Upshaw, the number 68 safety in the country. Those are the three guys that have publicly committed to the South Carolina Gamecocks. I believe they, there's one on Wednesday to watch announcing his commitment was down there in Columbia. But uh, things are looking good for South Carolina. And if you recall, kind of a similar situation for Shane Beamer and company last offseason. June was the month the Gamecocks really took off in recruiting. They dominated. And why that was important, if memory serves, this was the first month where SEC programs, remember all the COVID nonsense, we were still dealing with all that, weren't able to take recruiting visits and all that. And they opened it up here in June. The Gamecocks did better than any SEC program, and they are already on their way to proving that they're going to do it again this June in Columbia. A terrific uh, weekend there for the Gamecocks, and they've got another big weekend upcoming. So, like I said, the fireworks have just started there for the Gamecocks. Now let's kick it all down to Athens. Well, then Bulldogs, they got some good news too. Three-star offensive lineman Joshua Miller all Monday flipped his commitment. He was committed to Penn State, but now he's a dog. He wants to play... <laughs> in the conference that actually matters. Out of Virginia, the number 39 interior offensive lineman prospect in the country, the number 10 overall prospect from Virginia. A nice big lineman there for them Bulldogs. I mean, they you can make the case no one develops offensive linemen better in the SEC than them Georgia Bulldogs, and they are glad to have Joshua Miller on board again. Just a three-star, but previously committed to Penn State from the state of Virginia. Not a ton of... Uh, you know, I don't think Virginia gets recruited as well when you're talking about the, the recruiting services. So this may be a, a guy that's going to shoot up the recruiting rankings. The more camps he does, the more events he attends. The new Georgia Bulldog. Now, the other Columbia, let's jump all down to Missouri. You can never have enough weapons in the Eli Drinkowitz system, and they just landed themselves another one. A three-star receiver, Marquise Johnson, out of Dixon, Texas, one of the fastest players there in the state of Texas, son of uh, former Missouri quarterback Dominique Johnson, ran, runs a 
seven in the 100 meters. My God. And he did that this spring. Uh, he's posted 10-6 many times. His 10-3 time would be the fastest it, out of the state of Missouri has ever seen. So that gives you an indication of what Marquise Johnson, the speed he's bringing to the Missouri Tigers. Team him up with uh, Luther Burden and company, Dominique Lovett, Mookie Cooper, if he's still there by the time Mark Marquise Johnson gets on campus. But again, you can never have enough weapons in the SEC. And the Mizzou Tigers got them a good one there in Marquise Johnson. And then last but not least, let's kick it all down to Lexington. Well, the Wildcats picked up a commitment. Three-star offensive lineman Austin Ramsey from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the number 69. Nice. Offensive tackle prospect in the country. I said no one develops offensive lineman better than George. I may have to already correct that because, hell, we know Kentucky does it too, and they do it uh, usually by uh, not landing the elite prospects, even though they have started to do that under Mark Stoops by Kentucky. The big blue wall getting another one in Austin Ramsey from Philadelphia. And again, it's just another sign that uh, Kentucky is taking a step up in terms of what their football program is, reaching into a city like Philadelphia to get a guy to come down to SEC country. You just weren't seeing that in seasons past, but now you are seeing it after yet another 10-win season from them Kentucky Wildcats. But all right, hey, so that's all we got uh, around the SEC in terms of recruiting. Now let's kick it over to our interview with Matthew Rave, Sports Illustrated. Going to hit on a number of topics there, what it's like covering an event like the 7-on-7 seven -seven tournament in Las Vegas. Again, there were a number of elite prospects, tons of quarterbacks that uh, he got to see, including many of the nation's top uncommitted signal callers. And, of course, uh, the highlight of that camp, Nico Tennessee's five-star quarterback earned MVP honors at this thing. So this is a deep dive. Tennessee fans are really going to like this one. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by Matthew Ray. Got to give him a follow at Matt underscore Ray underscore. He's been on the show before. He does one heck of a job for Sports Illustrated Volunteer Country, and he's a recruiting analyst for SI All-American. Matt, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, Mike, good to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I had to reach out to somebody, and once I saw that you were out there in Las Vegas covering the uh, overtime OT7 7-on-7 league, I had to reach out, try to get you on the show. Can you fill in the audience? Uh, first of all, what was it like going to Las Vegas to cover this event, and, and what exactly is it for those that uh, may not be familiar with it? Well, the – the event was fantastic, really, from start to finish for me. Uh, the trip was kind of unexpected. I was on vacation, supposed to be on vacation through Sunday, but inclement weather at the beach. We decided to come home on the way. I was talking to my wife. She's like, if you need to go, go. So I actually booked the flight Friday morning, got on the plane Friday evening, and the time change gave me time to get to Vegas to catch that full slate of Friday night games Saturday then back home yesterday. So it was a little bit of a whirlwind. But overall, um, I actually had a little bit of a chance to learn about OT7, you know, this weekend. And what it was, was obviously everybody's known about overtime for a while now. But this has been in their minds 
in terms of getting that top collection of talent together for a while. They started putting it together a few months back, really around February, but it was just, you know, what is probably going to be the start of a regional top tour for them. Uh, they, they wanted to reach out to some of the top seven on seven teams ac- across the country, have them come to you know one location and compete for an OT7 championship. And it was very successful. I mean, this is probably in my time doing this, one of the more top heavy events that I've seen in terms of just com- a complete collection of talent. I mean, everywhere you looked, it was a highly rated four star, five star guy in a really competitive seven-on-seven football. So a great event from start to finish. And, and, you know, the kind of chatter was that they'll, you know, expand on this and then have probably, you know, not as much as a – not as much, you know, like Pylon does in terms of 20 to 30 events throughout the summer, but maybe four to five, you know, geographically placed across the country and then bring multiple, you know, teams back together in a spot like Vegas or Los Angeles or something along those lines to get mm-hmm. that top talent together. So it was very interesting. It was a very uh, exciting event to cover. Now, I don't know if you have the exact numbers, uh, Matt, but how many teams and how many players are at an event like this? So I don't know the exact number on teams. I, I kind of lost track of that towards the end, just trying to keep up with you know, the guys that I needed to see. But mm-hmm. overall, I mean, each team, you know, fielded um, an offense and defensive unit because you're talking about the elite of the elite, you know, in terms of seven on seven. So you know, 14 guys, a team, I want to say it ran around 16 to 18 teams. Um, I wish I had the booklet that they provided in front of me that was so, um, so handy. Um, but it was, I mean, there was a handful of kids there. Let's see, I have it here. Yeah, it was 18 teams. So 18 teams, and pretty much each team had, you know, somewhere from 14 to 16 guys on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, just a handful of, you know, teams that I wasn't familiar with. Um, but overall, just, man, just so many elite, high-caliber prospects at that event. Yeah, and it was headlined, of course, by Tennessee's five-star quarterback commit, Nico. Not even going to try to pronounce it. Matt, can you help me with the pronunciation of, of Tennessee's five-star quarterback? Ia Maliava. <laughs> now, based on I've heard, I've read some things that Nico was the star of the event. What say you, Matt? Yeah, so I, I wrote about it as well coming out, and it was it was something that I kind of focused on going in. I've had a chance to see Nico throw live several times, but I haven't had a chance to see some of the other guys that he's being measured up to throw. You know, so I didn't want to you know write anything beforehand. But Nico was Nico was electric throughout the event, and I I don't think I'm the only person that left feeling like he made his case to be the number one quarterback in the class in 2023. He, he didn't throw on Thursday. So he threw on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, Team Toa did not play that. That's his seven on 17. They did not play on Thursday night, but when he got there, the, the buzz was really around him because everybody had already had a chance to see the other, you know, top guys throw. And then on Friday, everybody wanted to see, you know, what does Nico do? And, man, those guys had a gauntlet set of matchups on Friday. And Team Toa, Team Toa is a kind of a 
I guess, an under-the-radar group in terms of seven-on-seven and some of the guys on the team. You think of Team Toe, you think of Nico, and you think of Jordan Anderson, the highly rated prospect in 2024. But elsewhere in terms of receivers, the only other receiver that I knew was Rico Walker, uh, the highly rated pass rusher, edge rusher in this class. He had came out to play with Team Toa, and they kind of used him as a tight end because they didn't have any big targets for Nico to throw to. And, and that first night they played three teams based out of Miami, South Florida Express um, and Miami Immortals, and both of those teams were quarterbacked by uh, Malachi Nelson and Jaden Rashad, a fellow California guys like Nico, but they had came out and teamed up with, with the Miami teams for the event. And, and those teams were just loaded with talent. I mean, you have South Florida Express, who has Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis, both who have stated their case to be the number one receiver in this class. Um, that on the defensive side of football, every guy in South Florida's Express's seven-on-seven uh, secondary was rated inside of the top 150 in their respective class. Cormani McClain, the number one corner in this class, lined up at cornerback for South Florida Express. And then same with Miami Immortals. They bring in Jurion Dickey. Um, he's playing with them, and he's, you know, a top 60 guy in, in the 23 class. Um, he, uh, Desmond Ricks, the cornerback in 2024, is going to have a case to be the number one overall player. So th- – just those were the first two matchups that Nico had and everybody's excited to see him throw right but kind of the buzz around the sidelines was this may get ugly and and all Nico did was you know quarterback team Toa to a win and and really just overall he he just pieced together the best weekend uh, in terms of everything that he did when you go to these events and you look to scout you know you not really looking at, you know, completion percentages and things like that. I felt like a couple of times Nico's best throws, and I just rewatched the highlight tape that we put together at SI All-American earlier before I came on with you. I felt like a couple of Nico's best throws actually fell to the turf. You know, the, the guys dropped them. Um, so so those don't even get seen in, in the clips of, you know, the touchdown scoring clips that end up on – Twitter and Instagram and those type of things. But yeah, I felt like Nico had a really productive weekend and really set the stage to try to make a definite run at that number one quarterback spot, because we're going to see all these guys again in a little over two weeks at the elite 11 finals in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, he had a chance to make his mark. Those guys are going to come back hungry. They know they saw him get named the MVP um, you know, by multiple different outlets. So so it's going to be a fun competition there at the end of the month. But for Nico this weekend, he did what he needed to do in, in the eyes of many and, and what he felt like he needed to do. He knew that a lot of people hadn't had a chance to see him throw. So it was a big weekend overall for Nico. Now, when you watch Nico throw, what is it specifically that stands out to you? Is it is it his arm, you know, the strength, the accuracy? Is it his mobility? What What is it? And, you know, does he have any – I really hate comparisons. I really do. But does he remi- remind you any of anybody? Just because, you know, us SEC fans, we've never really seen the guy play in an actual game. It's tough. It's tough to comp Nico because of the frame. I feel like he's six foot six and every bit of it. Um, 
he looks like when you see him in pictures, he looks like you know he's very small, but he's really when you get up next to him, he, he's every bit of the the 200, 205 pounds that he's listed at at this point. And his arms are phenomenally long, but when you look at his release, it's effortless. It's you know, it doesn't sometimes line up with, with what you would think what by watching him walk or or move. It, it's a very effortless release. Um, the thing that I think for me with Nico that gets overlooked the most is because sometimes it's one of the simplest things, but he processes very well and he comes back. And so in this seven on seven league, which is like most seven on seven leagues, you have four seconds to get the ball out or it's considered a sack. And for Nico, he could go through three reads in those four seconds and, and, and drive a ball out to the boundary effortlessly and the cornerback may be in good position but he does it so you know fluidly that there's still no chance to make a play on the ball and I think that's one of the things that gets overlooked with him sometimes because it looks so easy but he checks that ball down and the corner has to try to get up and make a play and it's five to six yards at a time and it's just effortless for him it's kind of like second nature if if a receiver gets any separation on an out route or an out breaking route for that matter, there's really no hope. He drives it in there and you know can fit it in the top windows. He he, it's rare to say in seven on seven that you get to see a quarterback show their escapability. But OT seven allowed so many blitzes each game for teams, and and I tweeted it out, but. There was a play where the defender was right up to the line of scrimmage. Nico's in a shotgun set. His little brother Madden snaps in the ball. The defender is immediately on him. He plants one foot in the ground like he's going to roll right and try to outrun him to his dominant side. Spins back, works laterally, never loses line of sight other than the brief second on the spin. Spins downfield, throws a strike it results in a touchdown. So, you know, it's it's not often you get to see those things in seven-on-seven, seven, but did have a chance to see that from each quarterback, you know, this weekend. It felt like Nico did really well there. Um, teams pressured Rashada a pretty good bit. It seemed like they used all their blitzes on Jaden Rashada, and he, he had a very um, high success rate with it as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, man, because I was going to ask you about Jaden Rashada, Florida, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, all these teams after – uh, the touted quarterback. How'd he look uh, heading into, uh, I believe, a, a commitment this weekend? For me, Rashada was number two at, at the event. And after a night one, it was very close. Uh, I think it, it could have kind of gone either way uh, between Nico and, and Rashada. Rashada probably threw the best ball of the event. Um, a, a corner route. He's working from the far hash, uh, working back towards the pylon. Just a very effortless throw for him was probably one of the things that made it so impressive. But a DB running in phase, in stride, and Rashada dropped it in a bucket with another DB coming over the top. So it was probably one of the more – probably the most impressive throw of the event. Um, but, you know, he he had a lot of eyes on him as well. He's he's the next big name to come off the board in the QB dominoes. And and he he didn't disappoint. He he did some things extremely well. I had a chance to see him throw one time before this one. Wanted to see him again. 
Um, for me, Jaden Rashada, I don't know where he falls in the other rankings. He's going to be very high for us when, when our top 99 come out uh, later this summer. He's going to be very high in the quarterback position rankings. But he, he's got every bit of, uh, you know, the five-star elite caliber road on him that he's been billed to have. A very, very efficient, didn't make, you know, many mental mistakes, just probably only one interception that was really on him. Uh, throughout the weekend, um, really high ceiling, mobile, room to grow into his frame. He's a big, he's a big kid too. Um, going to be a guy that, if he gets outside the pocket, going to be hard to bring down. Uh, very smart with a football, and, and again, just I think the thing for all of those guys that were out there this weekend is the arm talent is effortless. You know, they don't they don't have to strain to get a football in somewhere. You don't hear them you know, let out a <clears throat> trying to trying to drive into one. It just it comes out. You know, they're they're just able to do that. Um so for Jaden Rashada, uh he came into the event knowing all eyes were on him with his commitment looming and, and he had a very, very solid weekend uh out in Las Vegas. As far as the recruitment for Jaden Rashada, it's tough to judge. He he's very uh he's very good at keeping his cards close to the vest. He didn't tip his hand very much talked pretty equally about all the schools that he's considering but the general buzz is you know that this is coming down to an SEC battle uh, Texas A&M and Florida you know really trying to jockey for position we had been hearing a lot of positive about the Gators um, going into the event but I feel like Texas a and still right there stride for stride with them at this point in the shot of recruitment, Miami's had some buzz around their name, but that kind of seemed to drift off. We'll see, um, you know, what kind of comes of that. But um, I wouldn't rule Mario Cristobal's program out in, in a recruitment like this just because he's had such an effect of being able to, you know, stay close to recruits and, and win out battles that he's not supposed to dating back to his time at Oregon. And he's got a lot to offer at Miami, but I feel like, for a shot of right now for me, uh, probably coming down to Florida and Texas A&M. Um, and, and I think it may be as good as a coin flip. I, I talked to him briefly at the end of Saturday, and, and I don't feel like he's sure where he wants to go just yet. So um, mm. it, it, you start talking about these things, you know, he was, he, you could tell that he was very tired guys wanting to do interviews with him, you know, three official visits in like eight days or something like that. Then, out to Vegas to compete in the 110 degree heat. It was miserable. <laughs> it was miserable hot. I don't know how those guys did it. I'm sweating walking around and, and they're running, they're running 40 yard fade routes, but he, uh, you know, he handled all of that so well. So I think once he has some time to get home, sit down with family and process, he'll, he'll finalize a decision. I, I think he would like to think that he has something in mind, but I'm not sure he was completely there yet, at least coming out of this weekend. And one more quarterback, Matt, that uh, sounds like could be SEC bound. Dante Moore, LSU, A and M. I know there's others. I believe Michigan. A lot of a lot of elite programs after Moore. Uh, what'd you think of his performance there? Yes, yeah, so you start you start talking about this quarterback class, and you know people think that it may be the best, you know, in the last decade, if not ever. And when you got guys like Dante Moore that may potentially be fourth or fifth in this quarterback class, that, that really says a lot uh, because he does some things really well. He played for, for Cam Newton's C1N team. Um, they made it to the finals yesterday, 
And a lot of that was because of Dante. He, um, on Cam's team, has some really good players on it. But as far as being stacked around with elite talent, Dante was, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole with, with some teams. So uh, he, he did some things really well. He answered a lot of questions. It looks like he's been working, you know, this offseason to clean up some things mechanically. Um, earlier in the year, we had seen him, and you could tell that the arm talent was there. The you know, natural athleticism was there, but where where was he, you know, from a mechanical standpoint to do some things that that might cost him, you know, just a split second that allows a DB to get a beat on where you're going and break on the ball. He had cleaned that, you know, overall up. He processed very well mentally, and he, he had a very successful weekend as well, obviously quarterbacking that team to the finals and pulling off a few upsets along the way. Um, so uh, for Dante Moore, I think he may have improved his stock as much as anybody this weekend. And, and it seems like, you know, the consensus is that he might get out of Michigan. He might he might get down here to the south. And uh, it's, it's interesting for Dante Moore. Heard heard multiple schools mentioned around him. Miami, uh, obviously LSU still in the mix there. They've hosted him on a visit. You know, recently he has a great relationship with Brian Kelly dating back to his time at Notre Dame. So Dante Moore is, I do not think, in any rush to make a decision. He he never comes across like he's rushing this process. He's so laid back and smooth. So I, I don't know when we can see Dante Moore make a decision, and it would not surprise me if it came out of the blue. But, you know, I think Dante Moore is going to make whatever college coaching staff that he ends up at very happy. Now, what about uh, another talented guy I know you wrote about, and I've, I've seen your videos, look like he was making so many spectacular plays, it was hard for you to keep up with your camera, Matt, but five-star receiver, Carnell Tate, decision looming. I think the decision's already been made, if, if not mistaken. He's just, no one really knows what that's going to be. Uh, did Carnell Tate live up to the hype there in Las Vegas? Well, I know one play that Carnell Tate lived up to the hype on, and it's the one you're referring to with my camera. I thought I was getting smacked. I couldn't get out of the way fast enough. And the next day I know Carnell's coming back into the frame and he, he caught the football. It was ruled incomplete. Um, there's obviously no no challenges in seven on seven, but overtime had it set up with a with a nice video board and it's plain as day that Carnell got in. Everybody's I mean, everybody is is screaming, he's in, he's in. Because it was just such a phenomenal play. Yeah, Carnell. Uh, for me, definitely lived up to the hop. Um, the, again, that South Florida Express team so loaded that the two guys in 24, the two receivers opposite of him and Brandon Ennis were 2024 receivers and both guys that are going to be at the top of that class. So a lot of options for Malachi Nelson on South Florida Express and Brandon Ennis, Brandon Ennis a very special player in his own right. You know, he, he was very productive throughout the weekend, but it seemed like when South Florida Express needed somebody to take over, when a team was able to have success against them, it was Carnell Tate, be it working to the sidelines, working across the middle, or working vertically. Um, he kind of showcased the ability to do it all. Um, he, he excelled in the intermediate game, coming across the middle, flashing strong hands, but then having the ability to run away from defenders, get five, six, seven more yards, you know, before being touched down. For, for Carnell Tate, um, just a weekend that solidified what everybody wanted to see from him. 
Uh, you know, again, it's it's tough to say because obviously seven on seven is not real football. But when you're competing at at that level against those other elite talents, that you're working inside of a game of football in its own right. Um, you know, these coaches do this at a high level. They they work you know relentlessly on this. So there's a lot of scheme involved, things like that. These kids at this level are benefiting from playing, you know, seven-on-seven against other top talent. And and Carnell had a very productive week. I do think the decision for Carnell has been made. The the buzz is that he – well, coming straight from him is just that he wants to, you know, get back home, get the video from the videographer, and then release it, kind of surprise everybody. Uh, he he's very silent right now. Um, even to even to other recruits around him, talk talk to a few recruits that that have been around Carnell, and he's not letting the cat out of the bag to anyone on, on what he's planning to do. He he really is focused on development and you know early potential and, and trying to find that right fit. And he feels like he's found that. Uh, you know he he didn't want to go into saying when he felt like he found it because that might have tipped his hand, you know, one way or the other. But he he feels comfortable with all of the finalists mentioned, um, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Tennessee. Car- Carnell feels comfortable at all those schools. Um, you know, Tennessee has, has had some buzz uh, in this recruitment as of late. Um, Ohio State is not going away in this recruitment, likely regardless of if Carnell picks Tennessee and vice versa. If, if he picks Ohio state, Tennessee's not going to to quit recruiting Carnell Tate. And he's fully aware of that, but his recruitments had some twists and turns uh, along the way. I mean, it felt like Brian Kelly's uh, Notre Dame team had all of the momentum for him um, before Kelly left for Baton Rouge. Um, So, you know, then Ohio State, they, they had been in it long-term. They had been, you know, trying to work and develop those long-term relationships and play the long game. It felt like momentum shifted to them. But then he gets to Tennessee a couple of times. He comes out of that official visit raving about the Vols, having a chance to finally meet Nico in person and, and talk about potentially playing with him. And then, you know, he has the opportunity to get back to Tennessee in an unofficial capacity, which if the Vols went out in this recruitment, you know, that will that visit will have gone a long ways because he had a chance to sit down, you know, more personal with Josh Hopple, Kelsey Pope, and get those final questions that he wanted answered. He he knows certain things about Ohio State and Notre Dame because he's had the longer relationships with them. But for, for Carnell, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be go home, get the video, sit on the video for just a second, make sure this is what he wants to do and then release a video and surprise people. Uh, he says that he may drop a a certain date that he's going to release the video, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't drop the video. We'll see what happens with Carnell Tate. But, you know, Tennessee has reason to feel good. Ohio State has reason to trust a long-term relationship. Notre Dame is the hometown school, you know, technically for Tate, even though he's at IMG. He's normally from – he's a Chicago native, so – they're technically the hometown school in that recruitment and have a special spot for him as well. So we'll see what happens for Carnell Tate, but one of these schools is going to be very happy in the next you know, 10 to 14 days. Now I know uh, Tennessee commit Ethan Davis, the tight end was also at that event. Uh, did, what'd you get to see out of Ethan Davis and, and 
you know, I don't know about you, Matt, but anytime I hear tight end these days, you just don't know what you're getting because it's, is he a blocking guy? Or is he, you know, some of these tight ends are really just big receivers. Uh, what kind of role do you think Ethan Davis would have in uh, Josh Heupel's offense? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think when you talk about the tight end position, like you said, you don't know what you're getting nowadays. Uh, it's probably the position that's evolved the most on the offensive side of the football in the last five years, I would say. Uh, for Ethan Davis, uh, there were so many words. You, you listen to people as, you know, they're watching, fans, other media members, you know, that type of thing. There were so many, you know, terms used to describe Ethan Davis this weekend, freak athlete, cheat code, mismatch nightmare, um, the, and, and all of those are true. Um, he, he had a really successful weekend working against, you know, defensive backs and linebackers. He got bigger since the last time I've seen him. Uh, he lists at around 220 on most of the recruiting sites, but I think realistically he's 230, 235, and still moving very fluidly, big catch radius, just, just really able to – if you give him a step of separation and the quarterback can put it somewhere within his vicinity, he's going to haul that haul it in. He's very strong. Um, and for me, I think at Tennessee, first things first, with Alex Gullis, you have to be a willing blocker in, in that offense. It's, you know, one of the things they preach from day one. You have to be able to block that C area very well. And, and for Davis, where he's at physically, he's not going to have any trouble doing that when Tennessee needs him to do that. If he does that efficiently and does that well, which he has the potential to, then he only creates more of a mismatch at Tennessee because they don't have to line him up constantly in the slot. They can bring him across formations and keep teams guessing if they're going to put him on a linebacker, bring him down on the defensive end, what they're going to do with him. Um, he's going to be a guy that Tennessee's able to move across formations a lot and have success at trying to create. I, I, for me, I think mismatch nightmare is probably the best, you know, term used to kind of sum up what Ethan Davis does. He 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 does so many of the small things well, but just the the athleticism is, is off the charts. Comes from a basketball background, plays at Collins Hill, and is very successful. Um, and you can tell it when he goes up to get a football. Just just tracks the ball well with his eyes uses his body to, to work the defender out of the equation. And and to be honest with you, Mike, there's not many defenders that are running around at six foot five, two thirty, two thirty five. <laughs> you know, so he's our he's already got that advantage, but then knowing how to use his body, you know, works works very well in his favor. So a good weekend for Ethan Davis as well. Are there any other uh, standouts from Las Vegas we haven't mentioned that uh uh, particularly I'm thinking guys that are headed or likely headed to the SEC, but uh, anyone else stand out to you, Matt? You know, we touched on Brandon Ennis. I think I think the consensus, and I don't know where Brandon Ennis is heading, but he's a South Florida guy right now and has offers from all the SEC schools. Alabama's in the picture there, I know for sure. Southern Cal, Miami, the, those schools are definitely in the picture for, for Brandon Ennis. Um, he's the guy in this class that for us when we left and went and sat down and had dinner, um, and then talking to other people, he's probably the safest bet in this class. He he had a really good weekend, but the the floor for him, the the ceiling's high, but the floor is also extremely high. If that makes sense, he, he's just such a safe bet. Um, he 
probably got a comp of, you know, I think John Garcia said it best. It's like a John Mechie, a guy that can do anything and everything that you ask of him. If you need him to go deep, he can take it deep. But if you need him to get to the sticks on third and six and sit down, he's got those really strong hands that, that can sit there, take a blow, um, can work underneath, can work the second and third levels of the field really well. So he, he had a standout weekend. Um, not the, probably the guy that was, I feel like, one of the more overlooked prospects in attendance that had a really good weekend and that's closing in on a decision between Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Florida State is John Slaughter. Um, he played um, for Team Toa, which is Nico's team. And early on, they're dropping, you know, two two deep safeties and playing more of a zone coverage type look, and teams were having success against them. Uh, after game one, really, when those guys had a chance to see Slaughter and what he does, because he, you know, obviously being from Mississippi, he typically doesn't play with them. When they saw how rangy he was, how athletic he was, they came up and started pressing and, you know, working through, you know, different coverages at the line of scrimmage and put Slaughter in center field and let him work, you know, basically from numbers to numbers. And, and he created some turnovers and explosive plays on the defensive side of the ball for Team Toa. I thought he was a guy that stood out um, over the weekend as well. And he's got the perfect name for a defender. You know what? Slaughtered there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> all right, last thing for you, Matt. I really appreciate all your time. This is a guy that I know wasn't in Vegas, but he's been a guy that you've been covering. And before we hopped on the line here, you said you, you recently even chatted with him. Christian Conyer from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Kentucky Wildcats, of course, in the mix. Tennessee Vols. This is a heated, heated recruiting battle. Uh, what can you share on, on Conyer and uh, kind of where his recruitment is? Yeah, so talk to Christian um, after I made it in yesterday, and he's getting ready for, for two official visits with Kentucky and Tennessee. He'll be at Kentucky this weekend. He'll be at Tennessee the following weekend. Uh, really, from the first time I talked to Christian, I always kind of got the feeling that it was going to come down to Tennessee and Kentucky in the end. Then we talked kind of early on, closer to spring, and he told me, you know, I'm focused on these two, and that hasn't changed. Other schools have reached out to Christian Collier, but the focus has been Kentucky and Tennessee, and he's gearing up for this important, important official visit slate. He saw both schools recently. He was at Tennessee for their Rocky Top Palooza during the Memorial Day weekend, he followed that up, went to Kentucky the following weekend. Now going to see the, both schools officially, so have multiple days to sit down and, and chat with those coaches. And it's really just about getting those final questions answered and, and finding, you know, making sure that he's had that comfort level. He's felt a couple of times that he was close to making a decision, but he hasn't rushed to it. He wants to make it a final decision when he does make it and he feels like those two, these two official visits upcoming will allow him to do that, he'll announce on July 3rd on his mom's birthday. Um, and both of these schools over time have had, had momentum with him. So this has been a back-and-forth battle between Tennessee and Kentucky and one that we've seen happen a pretty good bit, you know, here of late. So uh, Christian Conyer, um, very level-headed, very smart, and a DB with an immense amount of upside. He's going to, you know, 
really focus on relationships and comfort during these visits, but really ask those tough questions one more time and try to make a decision. He's got things working in, in both fa- in, in both ways for him with these schools. He's got close friends at, at Tennessee that he's played seven on seven with. He's got friends at Kentucky. He's from the state of Kentucky, but he spent a ton of time in Tennessee. He's built a strong relationship with Willie Martinez and Tim Banks, uh, but he's built a strong relationship with Mark Stoops and Vince Marrow as well. So, you know, just a guy that is going to have a really tough decision to make. He'll he'll wrap up that Tennessee official visit on June 24th and have roughly a week to sit down and make sure he's got everything in mind. He'll work through that decision with his parents and then announce on his mom's birthday on July 3rd. So it's going to be exciting for Christian Collier to see what what's going on with him. Um, really liked where Tennessee sat with him coming out of the Rocky Top Palooza weekend, but Kentucky has worked very hard to um, to you know steal back any momentum that Tennessee might have got there. So so we'll see. Tennessee gets the last crack, and that's always important in any recruitment. But uh, Christian Collier is a DB that sometimes gets a uh, you know overlooked in this class that has really high upside. Yeah, and fair enough, Matt. I mean, this this is how narratives get formed, right? So let's just say hypothetically he picks Tennessee. Then they'll say, you know, we beat Kentucky. That's a, you know, they they had their year that they rose or whatever. But it it's their time is over. Now, if he picks Kentucky, they'll say, yeah, we've surpassed Tennessee. You know, uh, Mark Stoops, we're, we're the we're the foundation of uh, the SEC East. He's been in there longer than old Kirby Smart. So. Hey, there's going to be a lot of narratives uh, with just even a commitment like Christian Conyers for for two teams that are quickly becoming rivals in the SEC East. You know what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that game in Lexington last year was phenomenal. Um, when the Tennessee coaches came out of the booth mm-hmm. um, and came past the press box, they were ecstatic. You know, obviously getting out of there with a win, that, that was probably one of the better football games played all year. And it's kind of gone that way here over the last five, six, seven years, really. Uh, you know, Kentucky, I think, is probably considered Tennessee more of a rival than Tennessee fans consider Kentucky. But Kentucky, under Mark Stoops, has laid a really solid foundation. And again, they're, for me, they're, they're a team that could be a dark horse in the SEC East if Will Levis can do what you know many think Will Levis can do. Their you know, style, uh, their ground-and-pound style, and – they have success defensively, and, and Mark Stoops just doesn't seem like he's he's going to leave Kentucky. So the foundation has been laid. He's got multiple solid recruiting classes in, and you know he has a chance to play. You know uh, he has a chance to play a schedule that you know maybe isn't as tough as you know other SEC schedules, but it has set him up for for long term success at Kentucky. So we'll see know what happens with Christian Conner, but like you said, narrative certainly will be formed coming out of that commitment decision, whichever way it goes. <laughs> hey, well, just truly some outstanding stuff from Matthew Ray. Again, give him a follow at Matt underscore Ray underscore. You can find that in the show notes and check out all his tremendous work there. Sports Illustrated, Volunteer Country, and SI All-American. Matt, I cannot thank you enough, my friend. Thank you very much for joining me once again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mike. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Matthew for joining the show and just providing excellent insight on what it was like being there in Las Vegas for that 7-on-7 tournament. We try to bring you guys the best info we can, and we had to reach out to a guy like Matthew. Great guy, terrific work. Check out everything he's doing 
for SI's All-American and the recruiting write-ups he does. I mean, he's checking in with all these prospects on a daily basis. So really appreciate Matthew joining the show. But uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode. I've got another guest lined up for later in the week. Got some ideas spinning on how I could give you guys some more quality content as things start to dry up a little bit before uh, SEC Media Day is just around the corner, about a month away. So we got to get creative with the content. Hopefully kicking it with Cousin Shane before long to meet up once again. And uh, we may even get the Tennessee Homer back on the line this week. And don't forget, we got Stephen Lassen from Athlon Sports scheduled to be on the show for two episodes next week. So be on the lookout for that as well. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.